Welcome to Arise Life, a community of believers being equipped, empowered, and released into their destiny. For more information, go to arisealife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You know, stories are literally everything. Anytime you try to understand data, you need a story. What does this data mean? Where does it fit in the larger scope of things? But we also all have a story, right? A story of our lives, right? We have our stories. Our stories are what happened to me, but also what does it mean, right? So do you guys know the difference between a tragedy and a victory? Are you like one of them? You don't like the other, right? Let me map you a tragedy and a victory. Ready? Watch this. You start out okay, it gets really, really bad, right? And then you come to the final chapter. In a tragedy, which way do you go? For a victory, which way do you go? They're identical story up to the last chapter. Jesus, dying on the cross. The Jews had this whole thing. We get a Messiah. The Romans find out about it. They kill him. We go get a new Messiah. Anybody got a story like that? It's just cycles, right? Of it's all, it's all bad. I get a dream. It starts to get better. Then it dies. That blink twice. No, nobody. Uh, all right. Okay. I get a friend. They are my best friend. They betray me. I kill them. I get a new friend. Don't say yes to that, please. No. Like some people are like, oh, I didn't realize we we're doing confession. No, no, but 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 whatever it is, is is we have these cycles and and the story is I always. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, this is where it's about to get real. I, I gotta tell you, one of the things I love is I don't know any other body on the face of this earth where we all write the message together. I love this. I love this part of us. So here's my question. What are some cycles that we walk out? Some cycles. Rejection. Rejection. So, you know, so rejection starts with, I'm all alone. I find someone. We're so close. They reject me. I will never love anybody again. I'm all alone. I find somebody. Right? Anybody? Okay, people are like, all right, what else? What's another one? Self-improvement. Self-improvement, all right. One second. Let me, I'll, I'm going to write a few down and then we'll map them out. What's the other one? Abuse. Abuse. What did I hear over here? Guilt. Okay. Overthinking. Oh. Now we're getting real. Offense. Okay, I don't think we can handle more than this. We may never recover at the rate we're going. Okay, so we talked about rejection. Uh, Abuse, right? Abuse, right? I open myself up to someone, and what do they do? They hurt me, right? So what do I do? I hurt them, hide the body, Right? No, no, right? I, I get rid of them some way. Hopefully not illegally. Right? You're abused. So, so how about this, guys? Right? Well, let's just talk real, right? You're abused as a child. 
It usually manifests in one of two cycles. What's one cycle? Finding another abuser, right? This is what love looks like. And the other one? Becoming an abuser. Because the story tells me there's only two types of people. You're abused or you're abuser, right? So choose which one. By the way, you can always tell the devil speaking because he gives you two options. Die quick or die slow. Right? He's like, I don't care which one. Be an abuser, be abused. Right? Um, self-improvement. Right? Anybody, um, you're, you're, you're doing okay and then you discover some horrible part of yourself and then you decide you're going to fix it and you, and you like fix it and you work really, really hard and you get better and then you discover you're still 40 yards behind. And there's another area where it doesn't matter how much you self-improve, you still have you. You're still you, right? You're like, I tried to get rid of me. It didn't work. I keep coming back, right? Uh, guilt. Oh, how about a cycle of guilt? Oh, this is fun. So, all right. So uh, I do something I know I shouldn't. And then I have the feeling of guilt. Now, what do I do after that point? Not, not me, you. Okay, not you, your neighbor. What, would, what do we do when we experience guilt? Hide in the closet. Ah, right? Okay, what else? Avoid. What? Avoid. Come on, what else? Overcompensate. Overcompensate. Right? So let's go for avoid or hide in the closet, right? Because that totally, totally deals with it, right? Anybody here, you, uh, you felt guilt about something, so you just ignored it? It was kind of like um, some guys in my, my, my college, they pay, played a prank, a practical joke on my neighbor. He was one of the messiest men on the planet. I know some of you think you live with him, but he's not here today. And his room was a disaster zone. His side of the room. It was just kind of a steady, you know, growth up from over. You couldn't even find the bed halfway. So what they did is they went out and they caught a fish. And they put it in a shoebox and shoved it way up under his bed. He never found it. (laughs) But let me tell you. He knew about it, right? Yeah, yeah, huh. Anybody done this? Like you're, you're like engaged in some behavior that has a smell and you're constantly going, and moving on. All right, um, <laughs> right? No, and we're like, nobody knows, right? Everybody knows, right? Avoidance just actually allows the thing to grow, right? So we got avoidance. What about, um, and then the other one is overcompensate. Yeah, <laughs> Right? And that doesn't work out either. Okay, how about, uh, how about overthinking? Yeah. Let me think about it. <laughs> right? So, so overthinking, right? Who here, you figure out all the possible ways you can die. Yeah? And you map them out in detail so that you can block every single one. And then the devil comes in by a totally different door. <sighs> all my planning out the window, Right? And so you get up to this point where the hamster is spinning so fast on the wheel. Have you ever guys seen that? Where the hamster's going and then he trips? Wing, wing, wing. Right, right? That's what overthinking does. You just get going so fast and all of a sudden, and then, you know, face planting on the wheel. And then you're like, fine, I'm not going to think about anything. How does that work? Until the wheel hits you one more time, right? Because the life has a great way of hitting you one more time. Okay, offense. What does that look like? When I get offended, what do I do? Isolate. Isolate? I offend somebody back. 
Oh, I offend someone back. What else? You guys are... Be creative. Complain. Oh, I like triangulation, right? I'm offended at you, so I go talk to them. That's my. That's a fun one. What else? Get even. Sweep the leg. What? Gossip. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. Come on. You guys sound like you know what you're talking about. This is great. I, I appreciate all the field work, right? When I'm offended, I, I do what? I push away. I reject. I attack. But anybody found that whatever you're offended about eventually falls back on you? Anybody done this? You screamed at somebody in traffic? And then you did the exact same thing. <laughs> right? No? Nobody? It cracks me up. The, the worst is, as parents, who here, before you had children, said, I know how to really parent. When I get a child, oh, they'll turn out perfectly. Not like these heathens. This is why you're going to Kids Arise. <laughs> You'll get your theology. Listen, let me tell you. Theology goes to die with children because they don't put up with theory. They need reality, right? And, and so, and I always love that, is there's no greater shame when you realize your children are worse than the children you already judged. <laughs> and all that offense falls on you. These, the thing about it is, again, is the thing about stories is... If we don't change the story itself, the meaning of the story will keep doing the same story. My story is one of rejection. Was Jesus rejected? Was that his story? No. Was Jesus abused? Was that his story? Was Jesus abandoned? Was that his story? See, the end of the story determines the meaning of the story. Do you like your story? Do you think there might be a better story? Then how about we let him redefine our story? And so today, I want to take us into one of those stories. And it's one that's been on my heart for a while. And it was so great uh, because Masha... I was thinking about it. I wasn't talking to Masha. Yeah, go ahead. So I had this little encounter just being out and about with this lovely lady. And I had a um, kind of a sense for her and a word for her. I said, do you know um, a character in the Bible um, called Queen Esther? And she said, I think I've heard about her. I said, well, she was sex trafficked and ended up defining a nation and shaping, shaping a destiny of a whole nation coming out of sex trafficking. And the lady was like, it just opened up like a whole can of worms, you know. And she started opening up and saying how she was abused as a child and how it defined her entire story just going from abuse to abuse and trying to destroy her image, you know, just because of that abuse. Come on, come on. But I, uh, I was then prophesying that her middle name was Chosen. 
And I said, you are chosen. That's the reality about who you are. I said, go and read about Queen Esther because there is just so much about the, your story that's going to coincide Come on. with the story Come on. of Queen Esther. Come on. So I don't know about you, but I grew up with the Sunday school version of Queen Esther. And very, even in my teenage years, I was like, something doesn't sit right about this story. <laughs> Anybody been told stuff in church? You're like, this is good. And you're like, it doesn't seem good. That doesn't seem healthy. Okay, we're going to rip the Band-Aid off. Because what I want to say is, as good as the story you were told of Queen Esther, it's better because of what she went through. You guys ready? So grab your Bibles. Open up to the book of Esther. Makes sense, doesn't it? And uh, Nehemiah, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, east by northeast. You can find it right there about two-fifths of the way through your Bible. Chapter 1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. Okay, that's helpful. Xerxes, who ruled over the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush, at that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. Helpful. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all the nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. Anybody have some questions? If you don't have questions, you are just too smart for school. No, well, give me some questions. Who's Xerxes? Okay, what else? Where's Cush? Where's Cush? Is it Cushy? Is it a good place to live? What else? If you don't ask questions, you don't get answers. When did he start raining? When is this, right? You know, I got a question. What's not in these three verses? Not, there's no context. There's also missing Esther. I thought we were reading about Esther. Who the heck is Xerxes? These are really good questions to ask. And when you ask good questions, you get good answers. All right. You guys ready? I'm going to lay some stuff out. I'm going to lay some knowledge on you. Y'all ready? Some of you are going to be super happy. Some of you can come back in a few minutes. All right. So I want to pull this up. I want to put it because context matters. Right? Does your childhood matter? It's the context of your life. Does, does your early life matter? Yeah, so here's the context. So the context is this. Let me give you a, an outline really quick of the Bible. You guys remember God shows up and talks to a dude named Abraham. It's around 2100. And Abraham goes out and he follows God. Can we pull up that map? The next one, yep. The one with the bar on top and the bar underneath. Theoretically. Maybe I didn't put it in there. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we'll just say this. Uh, is, there it is. You're awesome. So 2100, Abraham, then he goes, he starts out in that place where the number one is, where his dad left. His dad came out of down by the Persian Gulf and went up to there. His dad only went halfway. Whose parents only went halfway? Whose parents didn't go any way at all? I've got good news. It doesn't matter where your dad stopped. You start. And God can write a new story. So Abraham goes out and he goes to the land where is number two. It's the, and he, God says, I'm giving you this land, uh, but there's going to be a 400-year delay. Awkward. Aren't you glad Abraham didn't say no to that? Right? But anyway, so then they end up, Joseph it goes down. And they, we talked about that. Goes down to Egypt. 
They're there 400 years. Moses leads them out back into the land of promise. And God says, okay, oh yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. 1400 is Moses. And then they, he's, God says to him, he said, listen, you can't stay in the promise by yourself. You need me. If you try to do it on your own, it's not going to work out so well. Anybody have some evidence in your life of that? Like you get the promise and the promise almost kills you, right? And so the, the, the time of judges from 1400 to 1000 is over and over again. It says every man did what was right in his own lives and they ended up slaves of the nations around them. So up comes good old King David, right? A man after God's own heart. We'll do David eventually. And he's so encouraging because he's such a mess up. I don't know. But anyway, King David and King David reigns in Israel for, you know, 40 years and then Solomon for 40 years and then the kingdom comes apart. And then finally, the result is in 586, like God said, they got kicked out of the land of promise. How did they get kicked out? They invited the Babylonians and the Babylonians took over. Anybody here partnered with somebody? And they took your lunch money, right? There you go. So they, the fall of Jerusalem in, so, but look at this. God said, if you try to live in the land of promise on your own, you are going to get kicked out of it. Look how long it took. Aren't you get, glad that God is gracious and slow? He's like, no, really, one last chance, one last chance, one last chance. God is not this capricious God who's whacking people. It's almost a thousand years, 800 years. So anyway, so the fall of Jerusalem and he said, before they left, he said, you'll go into exile, but you will come back in 70 years. So be ready, be ready. And guess what? They, the Babylonian empire fell. And in 536, the Persian empire took over. And guess what? They came back. Okay, math majors, how much time is, has elapsed? Between 586 and 536. Ding, 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 ding. This shows you God does math different than you and me. Daniel, so everybody's thinking 70 years from 586, but guess what? Daniel, the first time that Jerusalem got taken over the Babylonians was 607. And Daniel in 536 went, oh, it's been 70 years since that. Maybe God, maybe God will bring us back. Aren't you glad God does math different than us? And so this is 70 years from that first time, not when Jerusalem fell. And so God brings them back. He makes a way for them to come back. Isn't that wonderful? And all the Jews go traipsing back. And what do they go back to? Rubble. Anybody here been invited into a destiny by God and you're like, it will be amazing. And then you got there and it was rubble. All right. So here's where we pick up our story because Cyrus has a son, Cambyses II, who then has a, has a brother who it turns out he, that, uh, it turns out he was being impersonated by a magus who then gets assassinated by Darius and six of his buddies, one of whose name was Atantes. Not Tonto, but Atantes. Anyway, and so, so they, Darius takes the throne. Darius is now a great king of Persia. And Darius is going out and he's conquering everything left and right and center. And they are, they are taking over the known world. And they go over in all that green area. And then way up into Turkey, all the way to Greece, they're taking over. It's one of the greatest empires in history. And Darius is taking over. And Darius realizes he's dying and so he makes his son Xerxes king. And do you know how he makes him king? He marries him 
This is creepy. Sorry. He makes him king. One of the ways he does it is Atantes, the guy who helped him set up the, the kingdom, has married Darius's sister. And so their kid becomes Xerxes' wife. Is that weird? So what does that make him? <laughs> you Listen, I grew up in Kentucky. We have very interesting family trees. I'm telling you, right? right. So, so, so his mother-in-law was his aunt. Anyway, okay, so here he's, he's married to a mistress, and that's kind of the way they sealed together the power. A mistress was a mess. Actually, she wasn't. She probably was well better put together than Xerxes. But anyway, and Xerxes, right off the bat, his brother tries to take him out. In the first three years of his reign, he faces three revolts. Everybody's trying to kill him. You know, you know how you know you're not paranoid? It's when they're actually trying to kill you. So literally, everybody's trying to kill him. Like, I mean, would this give you a, a complex? Right? And so here he is. He's in the middle of this, and he throws this feast. Now, you guys remember, you guys read the book, but he throws this massive feast in the third year of his reign. The reason he threw this feast is his army was completely defeated, uh, depleted from taking out a, uh, a revolt in Egypt, but he still has to finish his dad's work. He's trying to take Greece. You guys remember Sparta, right? He's trying to take Greece. And so he's like getting this army together. So he throws this feast as a way to raise uh, funds and awareness basically says if you come it's a six month long feast oh, wow. six months basically he says join my party bring money to the power bring bring power bring your stuff to the party and we're all going to have a great life you can enjoy all this stuff all the time join me join me so he's trying to raise another army and he invites everybody all the guys and then at the very end of it he goes dude you know what i'm gonna have queen vashti a mistress another name for a mistress. I'm going to have her come out with her royal crown. Why is she coming out? Two reasons. Now, some of you have heard something different, and this is a total side point. But listen, if you're reading the Midrash and the Mishnah, which are rabbinical writings about the Bible, those were written about seven or 800 years after this fact. And they don't make sense. Just saying that. But anyway, Vashti, or Amestris, comes out, and she's standing there. He, well, he says, I want her to come out. Why? Because she represents the other power in the kingdom, Atantes' family. She represents that power. And so, do you think she chose to be married to Xerxes? They were born together at the same time, 519. They probably grew up around each other, probably hated each other's guts. Anybody know anybody like that? You went through school together, you're like... Right, you know, nothing, nothing can kill attraction like going through school together. <laughs> I saw you, <laughs> right? Anyway, and so they're married together, but she thinks she's from the better family. <laughs> anyway, so she, he says, come out, show that we're united in this. And what does she say? No, because she's been holding her own party with all the women building her own power. Now, we have a man who is rightfully paranoid. And everybody, and all the men, they go, oh, dude, got a woman standing up to a man? And all the women are going are gonna to take notes from this, and they'll actually have, think that they can stand up to a man. Is that a bad idea? Okay, wow. Okay, we need to try this again. Some of y'all, I'm really worried about y'all. Is this a bad idea, a woman standing up to a man? Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm so confused. 
All right. A woman standing up to a man, is that, a, is that okay? Okay. Whew. Man, I was like, we got to go get, get rid of y'all, start over. I don't know. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know. All right. So, but no, no, I don't know. What it, this is the, here's the problem. We like to say things are black and white. Xerxes was not a nice guy. Amestris wasn't a nice lady either. When she was dead, when she died, she had 14 people killed to be buried with her. Think like Disney villainess. I mean, these are not nice people, okay? Can we just get that? Like, this is not like, she is not a wilting flower. Like, this woman is hard as nails. She is, and so anyway, so they're like, this is a fight for power that's going on. Anyway, so he, he, they go, you know, get her. So he just removes her queenship from her. And the guys are like, man, you're all by yourself. You should get you a babe. That's literally what the text says. It says, go throughout the, na- the kingdom and collect all the good-looking ladies, and you get you some. Isn't this a great beginning to a biblical story? <laughs> to a romance. I went, oh. Right? And so there's a girl by the name of Esther. You know what Esther means? It means the goddess Ishtar. She's got a pagan name. Her real name is Hadassah. She's a Jewish girl. But she is an orphan. And the guy who's looking out for her, her uncle, is named Mordecai. Mordecai means follower of Marduk, the god of the Babylonians. So he's obviously a great Jew. <laughs> also, this is, what is this? This is, this is uh, 486, uh, sorry, four, whoops, 483 BC. And so we're about 30 years on. Why haven't these Jews gone back to Jerusalem? It's been 50 years. Why do you think the Jew, some Jews may not have gone back to Jerusalem? It was hard. They were comfortable. Cost too much. It was in shambles. I got a nice house. I don't even have an RV. Like, you know, maybe if I had a trailer. Right? But anyway, so here they are. They have not followed the call of God. They haven't gone back. Mordecai is follower of Marduk, and, his, and, and he calls his, 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 uh, his uh, adopted daughter Ishtar. Not a, anybody here feel like your whole life you've been called by a different name than who you are? And then it gets worse. I was never really good at raising girls. It says she was gathered up and taken to the palace. Let me just tell you this. They did not gather people against their will. How do I know that? Who, do you want somebody who ha- with murderous intent sleeping with the king? No. I mean, that's just stupid. Like, you want volunteers. I'm just saying. This is just, and so she in some way has been volunteered or volunteered. Anybody here, you did things because you didn't feel you had an option not to. Just saying. Is this not grade A victim material? But she gets there and she works hard. Think of like the Miss America contest. You know, she does everything. She goes with the whole program. She's, she becomes the best beauty pageant contestant ever. She works on her walk. She does the swimsuit competition. She's, she does all these, these, uh, these scents and lotions. and I mean, she does whatever they tell her to do, she does it. Whatever they tell her to do, she does it. 
Whatever they tell her to do, she does it. Does that sound like a strong woman? Well, but apparently she did what everybody else did. So they didn't have to do it. She just, what I want to say is, every part of her story to this point is victim. Every part of her, vict- her thing is just making the best of a bad situation. Powerlessness. And then there's old Mordecai. Mordecai, it says this thing, he sits out at the gate. And by the way, that doesn't mean he was a bum. That was literally where all the, the, uh, the work of the day. By the way, this palace was 1.3 million square feet. You thought your bathroom was big. 1.3 million square feet. That's 10,000 normal size bedrooms. This thing is huge. I, for her, it was an upgrade. I'm sure in her mind, there's a trade-off, right? Anybody here done the trade-off? You know? Ah. So here she is. She's living the dream. She's committing to the role. She's going for the good. She's, she's going for it. And what happens is she's in this process for three years. And the whole time, her, her uncle's out at the gate. What that is, is that means he's a high-ranking merchant. This is where he does business with the palace. He's making bank. He's out there working while she's working. Saying that. Anyway, so here he is. And, the, and Haman is a guy. So Xerxes is trying to put together this power and money together. And he makes partnerships with everybody, including this guy, Haman the Agite, who Haman was wicked nasty. And anyway, but, but because he brought so much money to the king, king wants everybody to bow down to him. And so Haman goes walking out. Does Mordecai bow to him? Now here's where it gets funny. I always assumed there was a good reason for Mordecai not bowing. There's no good reason. It's not in the Bible. It's not even in the Mishnahs and the Midrash. There's no good reason. I think he just was like, Haman's a jerk. I ain't standing on, but I ain't bowing. This all starts from there. Anybody here, you're walking in the middle of mess because somebody else was a dingbat or a jerk? Man, if that doesn't make you feel powerless, it's like powerless on powerless on powerless. I'm like, so in the middle of this, here, here he goes, find out, like, in the middle of this, she becomes, she wins the beauty pageant, and the prize is what? Not being, being the queen, but the prize is what? Xerxes! Whenever the heck he wants you. And let me tell you, we have copious information that he was in no way faithful to one. Does it sound like a prize? Anybody here, you paid the price and you got what you paid for and realized it wasn't worth it. You fantasized about how it would look and it wasn't that at all. Here she is in the middle of this and then we're, we're wrapping up. This keeps going. 470. In the middle of all this, uh, Xerxes goes to war with Greece, gets his butt handed to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they've been married for a while. Now, she doesn't see him much because he's on the road. You know, he's got one of them road jobs, you know, living in Motel 6 out in Greece and whatever. Anyway, and he's on the road with all this. And so she's just back there, you know. Honestly, she's probably pretty glad she doesn't see much of him. Just being real. Anyway, but the problem is he gets his butt handed to him. So here we have a guy who's paranoid. 
and beaten. Ladies, is that hard to live with? There's not a word for how hard that is. It's terrifying, right? And especially if he's known to be violent, which he was. Violent, paranoid, and a loser. And so he comes back and he spends all his time. He decides his dad's palace of 1.3 million square feet is too small and he builds another palace. So he spends his time just blowing money. And so he's out there. So 470 is when this all goes down and she's... And Haman gets all ticked off, right? Because at, at Mordecai, not standing for him, not bowing to him. So he decides he's going to take out all the Jews. Now, there's a possibility that he comes from a group called the Amalekites that were at eternal war with the Israelites. That's the only Agag we know, but who knows? Anyway, he's super, super ticked because he's another small man. There's a lot of small men in this story. Anyway, and he goes and he says to him, he goes, he, he goes to the king and he says, King, there I have found out about a group of people that is rising up against you. Now, what has he done already? By the way, since that, the first three, I think he put down six revolts total. And it was the Babylonians, uh, often the time. The Babylonians were revolting. And, and he says, he says, there's a group. And, and the king goes, okay. Oh, yeah, take them out. Whatever you got to do. Right? Feed a paranoid man. He does what you want. He, he takes them out. And, and Haman says, all right, all right. I've done the math. And then he came to him in the 13th day of the first month. And he said, I've done the math. I've gone to the soothsayers. And they say we should do this on the 13th day of Adar, the end of the, end of the year, right around March. And uh, we should do it then. We should arrange this that we kill everybody of this nation. Now, the, the king thinks it's the Babylonians. Especially because they're doing it on the eve of Marduk, the chief god of the Babylonians, feast day. So it's like a huge political move. So, oh, it sounds good. Do you guys remember somebody else named Marduk? Mordecai. He's purposely doing it on his birthday. He set it up to kill every Jew on Mordecai's birthday because it's not enough to take him out. I got to take everybody out. So we have Mordecai, somewhat powerful. Xerxes, quite powerful. Haman, quite powerful. And then we have Esther. Powerless. She has nothing. If there was a tragedy waiting to happen, this is it. And she gets word that Mordecai is, has put on ashes and sackcloth. They've got 11 months till this happens. So he's out there kind of making signs out at the gate. like, And she sends somebody out and says, tell him to put on some clothes. He's making me look bad. Here's some nice clothes. And he goes, I won't. He said, because this is what's happening. And she goes, well, what can I do? Anybody ever said that? You see something horrible. You see something immoral. You see something wrong. What can I do? Is there any part of her life that has taught her anything else? No. Except how to work the system, I guess. So here she is. And Mordecai's guy says, maybe this is why you've been put here. I don't know about you, but at that point, ladies, I would have lost it on him. I'm here because of you, you dingbat. <laughs> you know, one of the things about being a believer is we have to hear God through broken people. We have to be able to recognize the voice of God in broken people. 
And she somehow recognized the voice of God. And if you could turn over to chapter 4, this is the big part. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think, verse 13, that you are in the king's house. You alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? It sounds like he's, willing, he's saying, I will out you. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Is there any part of her story that feels like God up to this point? Is there any part of her story that doesn't look like use and abuse? Making the best of a bad situation. But listen to Esther. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather yourselves, to gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or night and a day and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it's against the law and if I perish, I perish. You know why you weren't allowed to enter the king's presence without his invite? Because people were trying to kill the guy. <laughs> Sneaking up on a paranoid guy, this is not a good idea. She's going to do it. And he hasn't asked for me in about six months. But I'm coming. I'm coming. What happens? Do you guys remember the story of Joseph? Joseph said, my story is one of what? Sold into slavery. Falsely accused. Forgotten. Left alone. Right? But what does he say to his brothers when they come? What you intended for evil, God re-intended for good. This is the moment when all of her story that has just been one unmitigated tragedy can flip to being one of the greatest victories of all time. What if your entire life story is wrong? Because it's read through the lens of tragedy, suffering, and abuse rather than what God can do with the broken pieces. See, God didn't intend... What Mordecai did to Esther. He didn't intend what Xerxes did to Esther. He didn't intend what Haman was trying to do. But God is not powerless in moving through people who say yes to him. And so what is he... In the middle of this, there was a little weird thing. Is Mordecai sitting out by the gate actually accidentally overhears a plot to kill the king. They stop the plot from happening. King never hears about it. Haman has 11 months to prepare for his happy day of destruction, right? He's going to kill every Jew, take all their stuff. And in that place, what does he do? In that place, he goes, uh, in the middle of it, in the middle of the night, the king wakes up, can't sleep, and so he asks them to read to him from the annals, the history of the kings of the Medes and Persians, a.k.a. give me something so boring it will put me back to sleep. <laughs> but they accidentally accidentally grabbed the part that tells about Mordecai having blocked the plot. Suddenly he sits up in bed. He goes, well, whatever happened to that dude? Nothing. <laughs> right at this point, Haman comes in to tell him about the preparations to kill people. And he's so excited. And, guy, and King goes, Haman, Haman, Haman. I heard about this dude. He did something great for me. I'd really like to do something for him. And what does Haman think? 
of course. You should give him a, a, you know, a, a really, you should give him a royal robe to wear and everybody has to bow to him and one of your greatest people will lead him in, in, in triumph through the city and tell out, this is what happens to people who serve the king. And, and Haman's like, oh. I mean, Haman's been fantasizing about them. He just wrote him fantasy for Haman. It's all printed right there. I, I, you know, just insert. You know, and he goes, oh, that's great. There's this guy, Mordecai. You ever heard of him? You know, Mordecai, the worshiper of Marduk, doesn't even know. He said, he said, yeah, that dude, yeah, do it for him. I, that's another picture I want to see in heaven. Just, <laughs> this is what happens to people. Right? Anyway, so Haman's, like, anger is going to 11. He goes home and he builds a 75-foot, we say gallows, it wasn't a gallows. It was a post, an impaling post, because their form of crucifixion, they put you on top of a spike and just let you bleed out and be eaten by the crows. So he builds a 75-foot spike, (laughs) puts Mordecai's name on the bottom, draws a little picture, stick figure, you know, all that stuff. He's just fantasizing. (laughs) So... And there's Esther, powerless little Esther. What can she do? You know what? By herself, nothing, but partnering with God, everything. Because God is moving even when you don't know it. God was moving the king in the night. God was moving. He's even moving in really messed up, screwed up people. If you think you're all he's got to deal with, you guys remember Elijah? <laughs> God's like, why are you depressed? I'm the only one. And God's like, I got 7,000 idiots like you. I'm okay. Right? You're not alone. But this lie, I am alone. It's all up to me. And I'm helpless and I'm powerless. When you believe that, nothing's going to happen. Your life is over and your life is a tragedy. But Esther grabbed a hold of the, her moment. Said, okay. If I die, I die. And she walks in. So she goes and she says to the king, she goes, goes the king said, could you and Haman come to a feast? That's a great strategy, I think. A party. He likes parties. We know that, right? Party. He's a party guy. I'm going to throw you a good party. Get him in a good mood. I personally don't think she knew what she was going to do. Here's why. Because she did one night and at the end of it, she did another night. I think she was trying to figure out the plan and gain courage. Anybody here? You'll only do it if you have the whole plan. Guess what? Then you'll never do it. My planners, I'm a planner. Nothing will paralyze you more than having to know every detail. Did she know about what happened with Mordecai and I mean, with the king reading the annals? No, it doesn't apparently seem so. Did she know? I mean, I guess she knew that he got, that's not true. She knew that. But she didn't know all that was going on behind the scenes. You can't know everything, but God does. And so she does the first, the feast. She goes, oh, let's do another feast. <laughs> Breathe into the bag, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's me, because this is the big moment. And then the final moment, she goes, and then she goes, oh, king. While Haman's not there. Or she, well, she talks to him, and then there's this whole scene. It's beautiful. Uh, goes into it. But the end result is she 
she, uh, she, she tells the king what, uh, what's going on. Haman flips out, grabs her. She screams like she's being attacked. Remember helpless woman being attacked all her life? <laughs> Finally uses it for good purpose. <laughs> Off of me, Haman! He's like, don't let me die! And she suddenly becomes the most powerful person in the entire world. In one moment of partnering with God, she, and in fact, has this genius idea because the law of the king can't be changed, this law that every Jew can be attacked on this given day without any repercussions. He, she said, but if you will give them the right to assemble and defend themselves, and anybody that attacks them that they kill, they get their stuff. <laughs> and what happened is, instead of the Jews being wiped out, they actually got all of Haman's allies' stuff. And what was meant to annihilate the Jewish people actually served for their promotion. And Mordecai became the trusted advisor of the king. And Esther lived out her days. But to this day, the Feast of Purim that celebrates Esther is one of the most fun times in Judaism. I just want to say this. What's your story? What's the overarching story of your life? Is it one of offense, guilt, condemnation, abuse? If it is, what if God wants to flip the script on your story? A lot of times we're like, well, 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 if I just need to change all these details and then I'll be okay. Did Joseph have to change his details to be okay? No. He met God in the prison and God pulled him out of the prison. Esther met him in her, where she was sex trafficked essentially. God can meet you where you are. Oh, well, if I just change this. Anybody here, you've changed the people in your life 43 times and you still have the same story? You are the common denominator. But what if you don't understand your own story? What if God has given you a new story? And I believe many of us in this year have heard promises of God. Promises of God of what he wants to do and it seems impossible. The answers we give to God when he says the promises, what do we say? Yes. You say yes. You are, pray for me. <laughs> when God says a promise, the promise of God is always impossible and ridiculous. Out of reach. When God gives a promise, what do we often say? Huh? Okay. I'm not good enough. God, you know my address. If you want to bring it, I'm not opposed. You know, I'll sign for it. I'm not worthy. Good luck with that, God. <laughs> I, right? But what if the very promises of God are indicators that he wants to totally flip the meaning of our story? Because in that day, Esther realized that everything she believed about herself was wrong. She wasn't powerless and hopeless in the least of these. She was the most powerful woman in the world, man or woman. So I just wanted you to take a moment. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask God, what lie am I believing? What's the story I'm believing about my life that keeps me from saying yes to your promises? What's the lie, the story I believe? The second question I want you to ask is this. 
what are the things in my life that I say are keeping me from the promise, the things that are too powerful, the Xerxes or the Mordecai's or the Haman's in my life, that I say, I can't say yes to you, I can't agree with your promises because of these. And the final question is this, God, what do you want me to do today to partner with you for the promise that goes directly against that story I've known and allows you to write my new story of victory? If we could have the worship team come up. Father, I ask that you would give us courage to believe in you, to believe that you are true, to believe that you're calling. (laughs) Lord, to believe that your promises are yes and amen to us. And no matter if the entire story of our lives is helplessness and despair, that somebody else has got to do it or we got to, that you have a destiny and a hope for us. If we could stand and worship him together.